Let's open our Bibles this morning first to Mark chapter 11. This is Palm Sunday. We've got to read about it. So let's stand and we'll read the Word of God. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would come upon us as we read your Word, fix in our minds these images of what was going on, of what you were doing, and what we are called to do because of this. Fix in our hearts, Lord, this wonderful grace that enables us to live for the things of Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. We'll read first from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And as they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now before we turn from here over into our passage for Luke... Just remember, those of you who worked around animals of any sorts, this colt had never been ridden before. And I was studying this, and I saw this this week, and I thought, that's fascinating. If you've ever tried to put a halter on a horse or a calf or a colt that has never had one before, they don't particularly like it. So he doesn't just put a halter on. He puts blankets on and gets on. This is God's sovereignty over all creatures, over all things. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9 now. Luke chapter 9, we'll turn to verse 57 to the end of the chapter. Luke 9, 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. The following uh, advertisement was placed in a London newspaper in about 1912. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. The only good part is honor and recognition in case of success. 
in case of success. I don't believe that's the best way to entice somebody to go on a journey with you, but Shackleton, the great Antarctic explorer, placed this ad looking for these types of men because he wanted them to be fully aware of what lay ahead of them. For when he wrote safe return, doubtful, that's what he meant. Such was the norm for Antarctic explorers in the early 20th century. Now, Shackleton's recruitment notes, it was brutally honest. I mean, brutally honest about the discomforts, about the dangers, about the threats that awaited those who would sign on and would follow him. And when the endurance became locked in the pack ice of the Weddell Sea, all those things came to fruition. They experienced all of those. And if you've ever read the book, there are even worse things than being stuck in the pack ice. But how many of his men survived? All of his men survived. If you've never read the story of the endurance, I would encourage you to do so. It is a fascinating account of the dangers and the uh, sacrifices that that men would make and the leadership that came especially from Shackleton and his, um, his second in command. Well, our text today, in here, Jesus makes some pretty radical demands on his followers telling them the cost of walking the road that lay ahead. If you're going to walk this road with me, this is what you can expect. Now, turn to look at chapter 10, verse 2. After he has given these hard words to these three people, and we'll look look at them in a moment, he says these things, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And part of me says, well, what did you expect, Jesus? Okay, you make these demands so difficult, why do you think there are only a few laborers? Hmm. I think that's the way he wants it as well. Okay, I think that's the way he wants it. If Jesus had hired a marketing uh, director, an image consultant, a political consultant to help him shape what he was looking for and put out advertisements, uh, they might have said, Jesus, if you want more workers, you, you really got to shape your message, uh, make it a little less harsh, make it a little less all or nothing type of thing. Um, but Jesus didn't, didn't like that standard. I mean, this, this was it. You were all in or you were all out. There's no half-stepping with Jesus. If you, if you ever took a pass-fail course in college, you either got one of two results, right? You either passed or you failed. I hated the courses that only had the final because you don't know what you're going to do, okay? You don't know what you're going to do. Well, in a pass-fail course, you always like to see that P show up. Well, this is all or nothing, and that's what Jesus is communicating to them. It's important to realize that these verses are addressed to everyone, to everyone. So keep that in mind. Leon Morris, who's a New Testament commentator, wrote, Regularly, God tests the earnestness of our hearts by bringing them to a fork in the road. When it becomes necessary to choose between two ways, which do we follow? Comfort, custom, convention, or Christ? Do we follow comfort, custom, convention, or Christ? And the test from the very outset of discipleship has what, is what Jesus has said to these people. Follow me. It doesn't say go and do these things and then follow me. It says follow me. What did the fishermen do? When Christ said, come and follow me, they let their nets go, and they followed. There are three conversations here that are mentioned just briefly, and Luke doesn't identify who they are particularly, although Matthew does identify one as a scribe and one is simply as a disciple. 
But these are people who talk about following Christ, and Jesus challenges them with the realities of what lay ahead. If you're going to go with me, this is what is is in store for you. So you better be ready for this. And they are laid out for us in that little section. Now, they're all three on the issue of discipleship. And think about the question that permeates all that we're going to talk about in all of this little section here. The cost of discipleship boils down to how important is Jesus to you? How important is Jesus to you? How significant is he to you? Not The issue is, is my discipleship good enough? I'm going to have to weigh what I'm going to have to give up and what I'm going to have to do. No, the question is how important is Jesus to you? Is he more important than anything and anyone in this world? Each of these questions are put forth in this passage in a different way, and that's what we're going to wrestle with. Now, Jesus is not calling us to a life of ease. He is not calling us to a life of undisturbed happiness. Okay, and I think we're, we're, we're in tune with this. We've talked about this before. This passage is not about what we'll call easy believism. There is a cost to these things. There is a cost to following Christ. He is more interested, it seems, in questions like, are you sure? Do you know what you're getting yourself into? Do you realize what this is going to mean for you if you follow me? Now, for every couple that I marry, we have this, this uh, you know what it is, counseling. I'm sorry, I blanked there for a second. Counseling that we go through. And 20% of the couples who go through the couple through the counseling, decide not to marry. And I've had a couple couples decide not to marry. I I should have had a couple others decide not to marry, but they went ahead. Um, But the whole point of this is that that they understand what they are facing, that they understand what they're getting into, and that they can understand to the best of their ability who this person is that they're going to commit their life to. Better get out of it early than late. Better realize in my office... I'm not up for this, then realize five years down the road, what did I get into? And I'm not up for this, okay? This is the same type of thing that Jesus is saying here. It's an indication that he is, in a sense, testing their hearts or pushing them to a point where they have to examine, do I really want to do this? What? He doesn't have a home. Well, I'm not sure I want to do that, okay? If I'm not going to be able to go home, if if Christianity is not 9 to 5, I'm just not that interested in it. Ooh, it's not 9 to 5. Now keep in mind what Sunday it is. This is Palm Sunday. Now for many of those who waved the palms on this day and cried out Hosanna and thought that Jesus was the Messiah, there were also some of the same ones that a week later were crying for his crucifixion. When he did not measure up to their expectations, I'm betting some of those people were there, yeah, he's a fake, he's not what I expected, he's not what I wanted in my Messiah, so get rid of him, let's find another. This is what goes on. Now previously in this chapter, turn back just one page, back to chapter 9, and we're going to look at a couple things. Jesus has announced his impending rejection and his impending death to his disciples. Verse 22 of chapter 9. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. 
And then the next passage, verse 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, I'm going to go be killed. You want this road? Then come and follow me. But understand what you're getting yourself into. Look at verse 51. And it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what lay ahead and what did he do? Did he say, you know, I wonder if there's a boat to Tarshish I could get on and get out of here. Who went to Tarshish? Jonah. Okay. Uh, He said, go to Nineveh, which is over there. So he got on the boat to Tarshish, which is, you say Tarshish, which is over there okay ah jesus said i'm set my face like flint to jerusalem okay and anyone who wants to come after me has got to deny himself and take up his cross that's the path that lay before you that's the path that lay before you and here we encounter three people who kind of want to follow christ uh, until they hear what it costs them and hear what it costs them because jesus was not the most important thing in their lives. Now, look at the first one, verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. Well, this is kind of like a well-meaning guy. Uh, He doesn't really understand what Jesus is about, but he he wants to get on the bandwagon. We might call him a groupie or a... uh, uh, I don't know, a Klingon, whatever you want to call him. He's just like, well, that seems to be the way to go. And that's, that's, no. And Jesus kind of crushes his, his expectations, crushes his little heart here when he says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We don't hear another word from this guy. Apparently he came up kind of excited, didn't, hadn't really counted the cost or thought about what it meant, and he, he, he kind of blurts it out. Excitation, excitation, excitement is not discipleship. Excitement about Christ is not discipleship. J.C. Ryle explains it this way. Christ would have no man enlisted on false pretenses. He would have it distinctly understood that there is a battle to be fought and a race to be run, a work to be done, and many hard things to be endured if we propose to follow him. Salvation he is ready to bestow without money and without price. Grace, by the way, glory in the end shall be given to every sinner who comes to him. But he would not have us ignorant that we shall have deadly enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil, and that many will hate us, many will slander us and persecute us if we become his disciples. He does not wish to discourage us, discourage us, but he wishes us to know the truth. This is what lay ahead. You want this road? Come on. But it'll cost you everything that you have. The first man was speaking without really giving it much thought. And all who profess and call themselves Christians are reminded that they must carry the cross. They must carry the cross. Remember what uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 23 says, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. Daily. I thought I'd get one day off, okay? At least one day a week I wouldn't have to work on this. No, every single day pick up your cross and follow Christ. Let me reiterate what J.C. Ryle said. Grace along the way, glory in the end, shall be given to every sinner who comes to Christ. But he would not have us ignorant that we will be hated, 
We will have enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. They will hate us. They will slander us. They will persecute us if we become his disciples. I just want you to know that it's going to be cold in Antarctica. Okay? I want you to be aware that it's going to be dark most of the time. I want you to be aware that most of the people who go down there don't come back. You want to get on the ship with me and go? Shackleton had them lined up to go with him. Lined up to go with him. Now, most of us are aware of John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. And when he said that he'd been a wretch like me, Grace had saved a wretch like me, he wasn't kidding. We know he ran a slave ship. We uh, we know he had had lived a, a really debauched life. But we have to understand what he gave up to follow Christ. When he was the captain of a slave ship in those days, his yearly salary was about 200 pounds. When he gave that up and went into ministry, his salary was 40 pounds. He took a four-fifths pay cut to follow Christ. Are you ready to do that? Well, he's probably not calling you to do that, but he may. Remember Benjamin Bailey, who was here two weeks ago, he and his wife? They left it all to go to the Middle East to take the gospel to a Muslim world. It is so dangerous over there, we can't even tell you where they are exactly. But they take the gospel to the Muslim world. What did they leave behind here? Everything. They left it all behind. Now, the second man thought that Jesus was important, but not more important than his family obligations. Look at, look at uh, verse 59. He said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, this sounds like a decent thing, right? But, but you know, his father's not dead. Okay, he says, let me go home, wait till my father dies. And then like a good Jewish son, I will bury him and get the what? The inheritance. Now that my earthly life is secure, then I'll be ready to follow you wherever you want to go. Because I know I've got this nest egg in the back. I've got this bank account. Uh, I'm, all my worldly things are taken care of. If you'll just give me this chance. And Jesus, we really don't don't get the thrust of what he says here in the in the in our culture verse 60 allow the dead to bury their own dead but as for you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of god this would be like saying here's randy my whole family's been been killed and i'm at the funeral home and we're having the visitation we're going to have the service and you come over to me and say randy Let your family bury themselves. It's time for you to go do ministry. Walk away from this funeral. Don't worry about it. Go and do the things of the kingdom. That's what Jesus was saying. This this is a hard thing. Now, did he really mean don't take care of your family? Did he really mean don't be concerned about earthly things? No, that's not what he meant. But he said, where are your priorities? If you want to wait and get your earthly priorities taken care of so that those things are secure, then great. Discipleship is not for you. Because it will cost you everything to follow me. Everything to follow me. See, that's what what Leon Morris was saying when I quoted him earlier about a fork in a road. Often in our lives, we come to a time of a fork in a road where we are either going to follow convenience and convention and custom or we're going to follow Christ. And very often, those two are polar opposites. They are polar opposites. Just look at the third man. The third man, verse 61. 
And another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Now, he thought that following Jesus was important, but not important enough to let go of his earthly relationships, of his old ties, and of the old ways of doing things. See, the Lord could tell that the man's heart is really divided here. Now, if we want to look at a divided heart, we go back to the Old Testament. One of the great illustrations is Lot's wife. Okay? Here they are. They're called to leave. Get out of the city. I'm going to destroy it and don't look back. And there they are on the path. And whatever's happening in the background, Lot's wife turns around and sneaks a peek. No, not quite. She turns around and looks how? Longingly. Those are my friends back there. And I'm leaving my friends. And we know what happened to Lot's wife. See, this guy was not willing to make a clean break with his old way of life so that he could pursue the life that Christ had for him. You can't have one foot here. Well, I'm going to follow you, Lord, but I'm going to hedge my bets. You know, I want to get my inheritance first. Well, let me go and say goodbye to everybody. Okay, well, how long do you think that was going to take? See, it wasn't an issue that, well, in 10 minutes I can say goodbye to everybody and I will go with you. Christ wasn't saying that. See, the issue with the guy's heart was, was let me go and say goodbye because, because you know, I, I love this life and I love these people and I, I love all that we did before. And if I'm going to say goodbye to this, it's going to take some time. And, and, and Jesus says, no, your heart is either with me. Remember, pass, fail, it's with me or it's against me. This is the cost of discipleship. Following him is not a task which is added to others, like working a second job. It's everything. It's a solemn commitment which forces the disciples to be to reorder all other duties. Okay? When Jesus talks about putting your hand to the plow and not looking back, he's not referring to somebody like, like me. You know, and I've got friends who I went to seminary with who are no longer in ministry. He's not talking about people who go to seminary and then decide, oh, maybe full-time ministry is really not for me. And I need to go back and we jokingly say, get a real job. Okay? Some ministers look at all of you with real jobs. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about every believer here. He is talking about every believer. The gospel must be your consuming purpose in life. Whether you are digging ditches arguing in the courthouse, working in the hospital, teaching in the schoolroom, wherever you are, the gospel must be your consuming purpose, and and those things are simply vehicles for you to live it out. That's why we're here. Profession is easy. Practice is difficult. Profession is easy. Practice is difficult. So to leave your options open so that you can go back to the old life, If things don't work out for you in in Christianity, that is to reject following Christ. He comes and says, follow me. I think of um, Elisha and his call, 1 Kings 19, Elisha. He's out plowing. He's got a couple oxen there, and he's just working the plow, and along comes Elijah. Now, Elijah was the man, okay? He's the guy that had battled the prophets of Baal. Uh, He thought he was alone, and God whispers to him, "This, this is the man, and he comes up and he holds his coat in front of Elisha. He holds up his, his mantle. And this was a sign that said, Elisha, I want you to put this on and follow me. Now, Elisha's relatively young here. So he says, can I say goodbye to my parents? And Elijah says, sure. 
from the context, it is like he runs to the house, says, Elijah's here, I got to go, and runs back. And then what does he do? He takes the yoke of the oxen, he takes the plow, he builds a fire, he slays the oxen and offers it a sacrifice to God. Okay? This was, well, I'm not going to leave the oxen in case I want to come back. He says, I'm killing the oxen. I'm burning everything that is associated with my past life because I'm going off with Elijah because the call of the Lord is upon me. This is what Elisha did. Now, the call of discipleship is not a call to asceticism. It's not a call to to sell everything that you have and and wear sackcloth and live in the desert like the desert fathers or, 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 you know, he's not calling us to that. Because look at, go up to chapter 18 of Luke. There are things the Lord has in store for us that we, we just can't even imagine when we are his disciple. Now, this is the end of the, his interaction with the rich young ruler. Keep the commandments. I've kept the commandments. Sell all you have and follow me. Okay? Verse, go down to verse, uh, read 26. Okay? We'll start in 26. 18, 26. And they heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things impossible with men are possible with God. And Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times as much at this time and then the age to come eternal life. Okay? So when he says, you know, you're going to have to leave stuff to follow me. But you're going to get stuff. Now, when I say stuff, I don't mean the stuff that we like, you know. Well, if I leave my car, am I going to get a better car to follow the Lord? No, no, no. If I leave my, my house, is, if I leave my wife, am I going to get a better wife if I follow the Lord? No, he's not saying that. You might hope for better kids now and then, okay? But, uh, they, they're not saying it. but there are blessings that come with discipleship that can't, in a sense, can't even be described here. And, and if you hold up your present life and say, no, I, I love this stuff too much. I, you know, I am not leaving this. I am not doing away with this. I am not giving up the way that I live for you. you. You really can't grasp what he has for you. But when you say, you know, if he calls me to give that up, I will. Now, he, he may not. He may not. But he may call you. I, you know, frankly, Ben Bailey did not think he was going to the Arabian world. He had other plans in life. The Lord called him to that. And what did he say? He said, you bet. You bet. You can't give up more than the Lord's going to give you. You may not think car for car, house for house, wife for wife. That's, that's not the way it's measured. That's not the way it's measured. It is impossible to serve Christ with a divided heart. Not that our hearts can ever be 100% devoted to Christ. We understand that sin, as, as sanctified as we get, as close to Christ as we get, sin will still remain within our hearts until we stand before him in heaven and we are completely washed. Okay, You know that. 
whether it's a, a word that comes out of your mouth or a thought in your mind or an attitude, there's always sin within us. We're always struggling with us. But to cling to sin, to long for those things of the world, to put the things of this world above the things of Christ is to show that we have a fundamental lack in understanding of discipleship and what it means to be his disciple. Now, when the crowd is waving the palm branches and they're throwing their cloaks on the road and expecting Jesus to change their world, it is easy to be part of the crowd. It's easy to get excited about, yes, here's the Messiah and we're going to do all this. But when he doesn't meet your expectations, it's just as easy to shout for his death. If you think that, that Christ will come and add to your life, if you think that Christ will come and fill in you know, those, those little voids around the edges of your life, if you think that you know, my stuff's pretty good and my way of living is good and I'm going to add Jesus to this, then you don't understand. He says, you, you have to be willing to take all of this, your life, the way that you live, and put it over here and say, okay, okay Jesus, I'm going to start with you. Now, what do you want me to do? Now, what will you add to my life? To be a disciple of Christ is not adding, to, adding him to what is already here, but it's willing to pitch out everything and take on whatever he gives you. If you want to pick up the palm branch, if you want to wave Hosanna, then you better be willing to drop everything else for the sake of Christ. So let's pray. Lord, these, these are hard words that you have for these three individuals who come to you who asked you these questions and who talked about following you. We don't see any evidence throughout the rest of Scripture that they ever surface again. When we count the cost of discipleship, we are supposed to go in with our eyes open as much as they can to see that you call us to something completely different. You might leave us in our world. You might prosper us in the world that we are in. But yet you call our hearts to be devoted completely to you. To use the things of the world for your purposes and your glory. That ministry might flow from us, whether it is in the hospital, whether it is in the courthouse, whether it is in the classroom, whether it is driving a truck, whatever it is. The things of Christ and mercy and compassion and and joy and, and peacefulness are to flow from us because of what you have done in our hearts. Lord, we want to be your disciple. We want to understand what it cost us. But we also understand that you never call us to something that you don't empower us to achieve. The cost of discipleship is great. The power of the Holy Spirit and of your grace is even greater. Fix this in our hearts, Lord, that we would not shy away from the call of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.